This is episode 21 of Manga Mavericks on AllComic.com. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid. And uh, we got a lot of stuff we want to talk about this week. Yes, but I think we should address the elephant in the room here. Well, what's what's the elephant uh, in the room? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I actually don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Could, could, could you, could, I'm, I'm being, this is not a bit, I'm serious, can you remind me, please? So, we said that the Inuyasha retrospective would be out on Saturday, November 12th, but it didn't come out on Saturday, November 12th. Oh, yeah, that's right. Actually, at the time of this recording, neither the retrospective or the manga fight has been put out yet. Hopefully, uh, they have been put out on November 13th. So they're out already, but, uh, yeah, there were just some scheduling problems, and it just didn't get up. I'm not putting the blame on anyone. Cough! <laughs> not, not. Yeah, yeah, I cough, mean, how could you? Yes, cough is to blame. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is to blame, <laughs> technically. But, yeah, so. Life happens. That's what we're trying to get across. Yeah, life happens, but hopefully those episodes are out now. I'm very proud of them. They were a lot of fun to do, and we're going to have another pair of retrospective and manga fights coming our way in the future for you guys to look forward to. Uh, yeah, we're, um, well, I guess we should probably get this out of the way, too, first. So, after this episode, we're going to be kind of taking a little bit of a break for uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday, because... Essentially, uh, how, how things would have lined up, me and Sid would have ended up recording around uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and neither of us really want to do that, So, because uh, we're obviously going to be busy uh, uh, eating a ton of food because it is Thanksgiving. Um, so, uh, the next episode we're going to be recording, we w- we're going to try and record uh, this uh, the next episode after this, hopefully around December 4th, and... Uh, probably hopefully have it out around uh, the 7th of uh, of December. So um as for what we're going to be doing next episode, I'm I'm really excited because uh we're going to be finally having on a guest I've been wanting to have on for a while. A uh, little shonen jump enthusiast known as Maxi Bernard. Um he I, I don't know how many of our listeners are really familiar with him, but uh, if you're not, you really should go listen to his work before our next episode comes out because uh he's kind of the host of an on again off again podcast known as a uh, friendship effort victory it's a little uh sort of um sort of one man show he again it's uh, it's a on again off again show he kind of does by himself where he kind of chronicles different uh, shonen jump uh titles uh, a lot of a lot of canceled titles in particular cuz he just he, he has an affinity for those somehow he he has a soft spot in his heart for some of those um i, I can't he's say covered some ongoing stuff too well, I mean, of course, I think, I think like the first thing he covered was like Dragon Ball. And I know he has episodes on like Yu Yu Hakusho and, um, it's, and other stuff. It's been a while since I've listened to a lot of his episodes. I might have to re-listen to some of those again. Cause I, I, I really did enjoy listening to that podcast while he was, uh, while he was producing that. Um, I don't think he's doing anything, uh, right now currently. Maybe that'll change. I don't know. Uh, we're definitely going to be asking him about that when, uh, when we have him on the show. Cause he might have plans. Maybe he doesn't. I, I don't know for sure. 
uh, I mean, besides that, we're definitely going to be talking with him about uh, what he thinks about Shonen Jump in the current lineup, seeing as how uh, all these big series with big fan bases are kind of leaving us. And we're going to be talking about a certain series in particular, another big series that has recently ended, and that series is Toriko, which will be ending in issue 51 of Shonen Jump with chapters 396, which will be out on September, on November 21st. Yes. So, uh, definitely, definitely by the time we, uh, record and release our next episode, Toriko will have ended. Yes. And I am very excited to talk about Toriko with Maxi because Toriko is actually one of his favorite Shonen Jump manga, and he's been very enthusiastic about it, even up to its end, just like I have been. So I think we're going to have a really fun discussion on the series, and afterwards, we are going to record a manga fight between me and Maxi, and we'll see which one of us is the bigger Toriko enthusiast. Yeah, so if you if you if you liked me fumbling around as an MC, get ready for more of that. <laughs> That'll be really fun. Uh so You didn't do a bad job, Colton. I could I could have done better, but hopefully hopefully I'll do a little better. Uh Hey, Josh gave you a B for bias. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um also, yeah, expect me to probably be a a huge negative Nancy talking about Toriko because man, I am indifferent. I'm just going to get that out of the way, you know, not disappoint anyone's uh, expectations. In my opinion, uh, hopefully, Maxi can, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He can convince me that the time skip stuff is good. That's all I'm going to say. And I know he's going to be listening to this, and that's probably going to make him make him angry. But whatever. Or he'll probably, or he'll probably just be like, eh, "It's your opinion. I respect that." I mean, he already knows your opinion. You already told him. Yeah, that's that's true. I I, I already did, but whatever. Um, I mean, the, despite my feelings on Toriko as it's ending, um, I still can't wait to have Maxi on because uh, mm-hmm. I've just just a little aside. I've recorded podcasts with him that unfortunately weren't ever released. Maybe, maybe I'll fix that during the Thanksgiving break. I'm not gonna. I hope pro- so. I'm not going to promise anything because I don't know how well that's going to work out. But hopefully, maybe during our break, I'll release a little bonus something. Maybe that's what I want to do. Um, or, or at some at some point, I because I I did record. Um, I recorded a short podcast with Maxi about um, about Hi-Fi Cluster. If anyone remembers that series from uh, from about a year or two ago at this point. Um, that, uh, we, we had a good conversation about that and I recorded that during my time at, um, at anime 3000. And unfortunately that, because of just uh, this, like just a lot of stuff, the scheduling and just a lot of stuff that got in the way in general that never got released, but I still have it on my laptop. So maybe once I scrub through it again, I would totally like to release that as, uh, you know, just, just, just so. Just so uh, we don't uh, we don't keep our listeners uh, completely dry, you know. Just give them something to listen to if they're bored. M- maybe maybe we're the only podcast they listen to. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you, sh- you should listen to other podcasts or other good podcasts out there that I totally recommend. Um, but we should probably get on to the rest of our stuff before I ramble on for another fifty minutes. So um, we didn't get the chance to talk about um, some of this stuff uh, last week, or I guess last episode. 
because we wanted to kind of focus on um, on Casey and his recommendations, which uh, I, I really hope to have Casey on again sometime. That's honestly probably one of my favorite episodes of the show so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we are going to have him on again because that Baki manga fight has been scheduled. Oh yeah, that that means I'm gonna have to read Baki. Um, yeah. From from what I, from what I see him tweet about it, it kind of scares me a little bit. But <laughs> it's not like I don't want to read Baki though. I've been wanting to read it for a while, but um, I guess now's the chance to do that. But um, mm-hmm. so I guess um, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with Jump, and I think we're just gonna kind of get a lot of it out of the way here. So I think maybe we should start with our thoughts on. Um, on on two jump starts that started um a couple weeks back um Sid do you want to maybe introduce the first one for me since i totally forgot the name of it already <laughs> sure so the first jump start let's talk about is spring weapon number 1 which is a comedy manga about this like robot who's created by this mad scientist for world domination but he decides no i don't want that i want to live a normal life so he escapes from his mad scientist creator's lab and starts attending a high school. And this freaks out a secret agent who's undercover at the high school, whose name is Hokuto. And his name is like a pun on secret agent. I just don't remember his full name right now. Uh, uh, the main character, the robot kid's name is Zero Ichinamba, which literally means uh, number one, which is pretty hilarious, like on the nose name. Which is great. And That's the basic good. joke is that the secret agent is like freaking out about like this weapon of mass destruction killer robot, like attending high school and apparent and trying to live out the quote unquote springtime of his youth. Like he has this very idealized uh vision of high school life and youth that he's trying to live. And the secret agent doesn't trust him, of course, but eventually kinda realizes this guy isn't really a threat or has ill will. But he still like has to be concerned and watch over him because if his uh handlers, if the secret agent superiors find out that Zirichi Naba is attending the school, like they're gonna nuke the entire town to get rid of him. So he, he kinda can't let that happen. So he's gotta keep his identity under wraps. And so they get into some shenanigans as, you know, Zirichi Naba's robot powers and uh, lack of uh, understanding of social conventions, but strangely enough, more like normal outlook on life and norm and more normal like attitude compared to Hokuto, you know, gets them in sorts of wacky shenanigans and they have some good banter and uh chemistry with each other. It's a pretty good comedy manga. I would definitely enjoy seeing and reading more of it. Uh pretty funny stuff. Yeah, like I I remember reading it and thinking I I remember laughing at some of the jokes. But I don't know, like, I thought some of it was funny, and some of it didn't really, like, uh, didn't really get much of a reaction out of me in terms of the comedy. I I thought I thought it was okay, I certainly didn't dislike it, but, I mean, like you said, I, I, I wouldn't mind maybe reading more. The first chapter was alright. Uh, the third chapter, I think, is the best showcase of what the series is capable of, and how funny it can be. Because that is when Namba and Hokuto have to team up to get this girl to give him her number so he can, you know, watch over her because she 
needs to be put under surveillance for some reason that isn't explained to him, but he, so, so he has to get her number. And it's funny because both of them completely fumble and are so awkward in doing that. So it ends up being pretty hilarious. It's like taking a mundane situation up to 11, which I enjoy. So I yeah, thought that I, I enjoy stuff really like that good. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I, I, I think for me, uh, spring weapon number one, I don't know. Like I again, I, this is one of those things where I I would have read more of it, but I just I haven't had time to read Jump lately. Um, but j- just just from what I've seen, I I would say it was it was all right. I I didn't have a problem with it. I don't know if I'm ready to recommend it though. I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, whether or not we recommend it is going to depend on whether it continues for a while, and also whether it gets put into the English Jump at some point. Yeah, I was gonna say, do, like, do you, like uh, this feels like the kind of thing that I feel like could probably get canceled pretty soon, though. Unfortunately, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? I don't. There isn't like a pure gag manga. I think. In, well, I, there's Psyche. That's true. And then there's um, Isobe. Yeah, there's Isobe. Isobe is also this weird kind of different style of gag series, though, too. So, which I really want to see in English. I really want to be able to read that, but I know that'll probably never happen. It'd be good as free content on the on the Shonen Jump website, so I would like to see it. It would, but I feel like nobody would click on it. Maybe, unfortunately, I don't know. Spring Weapon. We'll see what happens to it. Yeah, well, it's it, this is a wait and see. Um, I mean, if it does get picked up in the English magazine, I'll probably read it. Like, it's weird. I, I've been trying to give more of these continuing jump starts a chance because usually, usually uh, with with jump, I usually make it a policy to not give anything new a chance unless it, um, or I guess not start reading anything new weekly unless it passes at least 50 chapters in serialization. Because when, if you could pass 50 chapters of serialization in jump, um, I think you've got it good because jump, jump uh, as we, you know, if if you if you read Jump as much as Sid and I, uh, you realize that Jump is very ruthless with its new series, mm. and uh, and is is is. I mean, if you if you don't if you don't do well enough in the magazine, you end up like a certain series, cough, love rush, cough that uh that get canned after about like two volumes worth of material, I think. Yeah, I guess that's a good transition to talking about that. Yes, love rush. Has been cancelled. It ended in issue 50 of Weekly Shonen Jump, which was out uh, this Monday, November 14th. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I thought Love Rush was a very promising series. Like, it really had a purpose to it, it felt. It intriguingly explored these concepts of love and, like, how these various characters relate to their ideas on love. And it also progress the relationship between the two main leads, Shizuku and the uh, Reiji, the male lead, uh, very interestingly. I found Shizuku in particular a very interesting character and how she didn't know how to express or uh, come to terms with her feelings for Reiji. So I found that really interesting. And I think that the series had a lot of potential. It could have been if it had, you know, more time, I think it have, could have 
been developed into something really interesting, or it could have, you know, devolved into a standard harem rom com thing. But to me, it's clear that the mangaka had some very interesting ideas and had uh, some specific ideas on what he wanted to do with the series. And it was a very good subversion of typical cliches and as well as a deconstruction of various cliches and, you know, the shonen romantic comedy, ro- romantic comedy in general. So I found that very appreciable. And I, for what it was, I enjoyed it a lot. So there we go. Okay. So here, here's, here's my last question before we move on. So I, so. I I pretty much haven't read Love Rush past the first chapter just because I wasn't really particularly interested in another rom-com personally. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of rom-coms in general. Nisekoi was a pretty big exception. But so now, now that Love Rush has ended, w- would you say if if I if I said, OK, maybe maybe I, I'll read it now that it's over. Would would you say it's worth reading now that it, now that it's canceled? Yeah, it was a very interesting series for what it was trying to do and for the way it approached uh, its subject matter and this idea of various characters trying to express and think about how they how this concept of love and like what it means to them. I found like how it was approaching that very interesting and it didn't get to develop those ideas as fully as it might have if it had been given more time but i think that for the length of run it has like 13 chapters basically is what it's ending oh wow it's a pretty interesting little uh anomaly of a series that has a lot to offer and tells uh what feels like a pretty satisfying complete story within its run. So I think it's a nice I think it's a nice read you can read in about an okay, hour. Okay, I'll probably put it on my um get to whenever list. Okay. That's all right. I'll, I'll again, yeah, this is stuff like this, circumstances like this is why I'm usually so hesitant to keep up with new stuff weekly because stuff like this happens. Um so okay, I, I mean it, it's short. I'll I'll probably get to it at some point. But um I mean, now that that's over, uh, we should probably talk about uh, some of the new series coming to jump. Well, why? I I guess what? Why don't we talk about? Ruby oh yeah, that's first. right. I'm sorry, I Since, almost forgot. Uh, My bad. Um, so yes, go ahead and talk about Ruby. What, what What did you think about the first chapter? Yeah, so Ruby debuted in uh, Shonen Jump recently. It's going to be running as a weekly series until they catch up with uh, the Japanese releases, after which it'll uh, switch to a monthly release in Jump. And so the first two chapters are out by the time of this recording, and I've had a chance to read them. And I have to say, I really like the Magaka's artwork. Like, I was wondering, because the appeal of Ruby is its action sequences, how that would translate into the a manga a still visual format, and I think it actually ended up pretty well. The mangaka has a really good use of compositions and pacing, and there's some really dynamic art, and so the action scenes look really impressive, and I think that's where this manga version shines so far. 
as far as the story goes, I mean, the first two chapters are basically designed to introduce you to the central four characters and the world. Uh, the first half of the first chapter is basically an adaption of the Root Red uh, trailer for Ruby that w- was released way back in the day. And then the remaining half of that chapter in the second chapter is basically an original kind of story that takes place sometime in the first season that just involves Ruby fighting uh, Carter. What's his name? The Carden. Yeah. He, Carden sucks, but he's, he only appears in like four episodes anyways. But yeah, so it's just about her fighting Cardin's bit. The basic point of that is just to introduce Ruby as a character and then kind of establish her motivations and then relationship with her team, you know? So the, so the first two chapters, I don't know if they really have leave much an impact to people who haven't watched the series and understand what's going on. And for people who have watched the series, like myself, it's not like it adds anything new. But I'm interested in seeing where the uh, manga takes things going forward, because ostensibly it's a prequel series, and so it'll be going into some more backstory stuff and stuff that we haven't seen in the animated series yet. So I'm interested in seeing that stuff when it comes up. And I definitely think the action sequences are a huge plus in the series. So it's hard, it's hard though for me to really recommend it to anyone who doesn't already know the series. Because even though the first few chapters are designed to basically introduce you to the series, I don't think you'll really get much enjoyment out of it. Unless it's as a supplementary to your to your viewing experience with the series, because there's still so much that the manga zooms, you know, going into this. Like they don't bother introducing John for one thing, but so or, or like his teammates or or Austin or, or really any of the characters besides Ruby Weiss the and Blake and Yang, the main four. So. You really gotta know some things about Ruby in order to understand the manga version, even though it's supposed to be a prequel. So it's a kind of it's kind of hard to recommend it to someone who's in the series. But uh, I'm as far as the manga goes and the readapting the trailer parts goes, I'm hoping they expand on the Blake trailer more because. If you watch the Blake trailer, like there's a lot they don't really explain or don't really make clear. That, like, it's really hard to really get invested in her character at the start because she kind of, for the longest time in the series, has the least to do until, like, the very end of the first season when when we get learn a lot more about her. But, like, there's a lot of stuff about her relationship to the White Fang and Adam Taurus in the black that's supposed to be implied in the in her trailer but it really isn't like made very clear so i'm hoping the manga version does a better job at that all right but uh is that is that about it for ruby did you have anything else you wanted to add nope that's about it for ruby so let's talk about the new jump starts that are going to be coming up soon yeah so um i believe in issue what was it i believe issue 51 same issue that um that Torika will be ending in uh it looks like we're going to be getting a new series called demon's plan from uh, yoshimichi okamoto which uh I, I looked up ahead of time. I don't think this particular person has had any other work in uh, 
in in Jump or other anthology magazines before. So this might be uh, his or her first work. So that'll be interesting to see. And then uh, I believe in the issue right after, uh, we're going to be getting a series called um, Origo Rasso, which will be uh, authored by Takamasa um, Moue. Moe? It's going to be hard to pronounce. Um, th- th- now, this person actually had a um, had an entry in in the tenth Gold Future Cup contest, which is um, which, from my understanding, is this this contest that Weekly Shonen Jump has, I believe, every year, where people can enter in uh, enter enter in their own uh, one shots, and the best of the best will be essentially entered in the magazine for publication, and they, I believe, they um, they choose particular one shots from that contest to be made into a serial into a serial which uh, which is how i believe um beelzebub got its own series which is interesting um and uh, you can actually you you can you could find that particular uh, one shot out there and it's called uh, galaxy gangs which i i meant to read before we recorded this just to kind of get an idea of of this person's work but um I, I will hopefully do that before um, Orego Rasso in particular gets uh, put into the uh, English jump for its jumpstart run. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of interested in that. So it looks like um, we, we we don't have a, like like as always we don't have a ton of info on these uh, on these new series just yet. They're pretty much just teasing us like always. Um, but it looks like uh, with Demon's plan in particular. Uh, Shonen Jump is so kind enough to tell us that the story will involve a demon's plan that can grant people's wishes, and that's about as much as we know. Mm-hmm. Well, the preview image for Regarazzo shows a young man in a soccer uniform with a soccer ball, so presumably it'll be a soccer manga, which will be pretty interesting, because I don't think Jump has had a uh, notable soccer manga, at the very least, since Whistle. So that'll be interesting. I'll also point out, though, that Yoshimichi Okamoto also published a one-shot as part of the ninth Gold Future Cup contest back in 2014. Okay. Hmm. So both of these are uh, previous Gold Future Cup contest entrants. I haven't looked up or uh, read any of these one-shots or uh, any previous works these guys have had. But it seems they are, you know, newbies. So, like, they've done some one-shots, but this will be their, both of their first real serialized works running in the magazine. Okay, well, there you go, then. So, uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about those when we both get the chance to uh, to read those. Ho- hopefully, hopefully, when we have Maxi on, we can, uh, we can talk about those briefly. But I guess uh, the last Shonen Jump-related thing we want to get to before we get to the rest of our news is... Um, Shonen Jump is kind of doing a thing that it never does, and it's it's reprinting one of their issues of the magazine. In particular, Shueisha is reprinting the 42nd issue of Weekly Shonen Jump. That issue is sort of important in that uh, that was the issue that ran the final chapter of Kochikame. And uh, apparently they're going to be reprinting this issue along with the, uh, the Kochikame Jump that... Uh, I believe it was a promotional Shonen Jump magazine that they printed with a lot of like uh, uh, tributes from other authors and whatnot. Um, and is they're going to be selling them in like a like a double pack for like uh, 780 yen, 750 if you want to talk US dollars. Uh, so this is kind of like th- this is literally something Shueisha never does. 
And I think it almost makes sense that they do it for such a, I guess, such a long-standing series such as Kachikame. Yeah, I mean, this issue is probably in hot demand because it's such an historic issue for uh, Jump. I mean, Kachikame ran for 40 years. Like, people, and it's like one of the longest-running manga of all time. So, like, the, of course, many people, even people who might have fallen out of Kochikame for many years would want to get the issue that ran its final chapter. And of course, that issue is also notable because there's so, the, so many tributes to Kochikame in the other series, with the signature eyebrows of Ryotsu being featured prominently in each of those chapters. So, of course, there's that novelty value to that issue as well. So it's really interesting and it's really cool to see that this issue is going to get reprinted. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that just speaks to how beloved Kochikami is, but also how uh, notable and how historic an event its ending was, that it would also get Weekly Shonen Jump 2 for the first time ever reprint one of its issues. Now, now here, here's a question. What do you think are the chances that they're going to do this with something like One Piece? Yeah, I could see that happening with One Piece, considering it's, like, the highest-selling manga of all time, the most popular manga of all time. Like, when it ends, that's also going to be a big deal. So, you know, I'm sure that it'll also get Kochikame-level treatment. So, we'll see. But I, I, I'd expect that'll happen with One Piece as well. I think that's really the only other title in Jump that's going to get that treatment. But um, but anyway, so, with all of our Try to Jump stuff out of the way... Uh, we should get on to our normal stuff with the uh, New York Times bestselling manga list from the week of October 30th through November 5th. And um, ranking at number one on this list is a new release of One Punch Man, One Punch Man Volume 9 in particular, th- this being its first week on the list. Um, and at number two, actually, we have uh, the first volume of the legendary edition of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time by uh, Akira Himekawa. At number two, um, so that's cool. I need, I really need to get around to reading some Zelda manga at some point. Um, I hear they're actually pretty good. And at number three, we have a new release of My Hero Academia, volume six. And uh, let's see, we have uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stars Crusaders, number one, specifically the uh, the hardcover of Jojonium edition at number four. Um, so that's cool. I'm glad. I'm glad to see JoJo's is doing well at number four, no less. Um, at number five, we have a new release of One Piece, Volume 80. Um, this looks like it's the... I think it's... I can't tell because uh, the cover is so small in here. I think it's the end it's of Dressrosa. Dress, yeah, it's the end of Dressrosa, beginning of so. Finally! <laughs> I like yeah. how Buggy's on the cover, even though he's like only in one chapter. Yeah, that's pretty funny when you think about it. We need to see more Buggy, though. He needs to be back. Yeah, he needs to come back, like, I'm soon. I'm sure he will come back, but, like, he needs to come back sooner. Yeah, I... I, I miss Buggy. He's I, I, I love I love Buggy so much more than I used to, honestly. Um, I used to I used to just be like, oh, he's a clown. I, I, don't, I don't care. He's just a guy. <laughs> um, but I've learned... I've definitely learned to appreciate him over time. Uh, but uh, continuing, uh, continuing on with the list, uh, we have a uh, new release of Bleach Volume 68 at number 6. And uh, pretty much the rest of the list is uh, our usual suspects with Tokyo Ghoul number nine at number seven, uh, its previous rank being number one on the list, this being its third week on the list. 
uh, Tokyo Ghoul number one at number eight, previous rank being number five. This being its 70th, 70th week on the list. It's a lot of weeks. Uh, uh, one Punch Man volume one at number nine, previous rank number six, uh, 61 weeks on the list. And finally at number 10, Tokyo Ghoul number eight, uh, previous rank number four, this being its 11th week on the list. So I'm um, glad to see all these new releases taking up uh, a majority of the top of the list. Yeah, this week is pretty much dominated by new volume releases, like a bunch uh, of from Viz. Volume. Yeah, I mean it's all Viz, all of this stuff. This entire list is Viz, so they had a really good week, and it's nice to see that a lot of their titles are like doing really well. Of course, obviously half the list is our big two usual suspects. One Punch Man occupies two slots. Two Google occupies a third of the list with three spots. But, you know, it's good to see My Hero Academia, JoJo's, and One Piece doing really well. Bleach, of course, continues to sell well, too. I do like the cover with Asuka Nakavar. He was, like, one of the better villains in its final years. So, I at least like that cover. So, yeah. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, I I love how he's like, "Hey, I'm I'm in I'm in this manga. I'm in this volume. Come check me out." I'm the best Stern Ritter. <laughs> he is the best Sternritter. He was funny. I liked him. He was actually good. Um, but speaking of Bleach, uh, st- stuff has been happening with Bleach. Believe it or not, and you want to talk about that real quick, Sid? Yeah. So Ty Kubo quit Twitter last year in September. For, well, no official reason, but I think he was just getting hounded by fans, and he was like, you know what, I'm fed up, done with this. But now he's back on Twitter, and he came back around Halloween, and uh, he came back casual, quote-unquote casually, but uh, it was pretty interesting because he came back and he with the, wearing my Yuri cosplay and he posted a bunch of pictures of him in this my Yuri cosplay and it's uh it's pretty it's pretty weird it's pretty I, I thought it looked around. I thought it I thought it looked amazing honestly he did no, a really it does good look job amazing but my Yuri is just a weird looking character so it's kind of uncanny valley to see him in live action uh, but yeah so <laughs> It's pretty, pretty funny stuff. Kubo has Mayuri for the live-action Bleach movie confirmed. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, maybe. Who knows? We don't know the plot line of that movie yet. That that would that would that would be amazing, though. Kubo also uh, drew some sketches, you know, to commemorate that Bleach was over. You know, show draw some uh, images of him. You know, doing various things like playing Dragon Quest, or you know, just. Showing what he's been doing since Bleach has ended. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, uh, him describe his home life and what he's been up to since Bleach has ended. And it seems that we are going to be getting new Bleach content, even though the manga has ended, because two new novels are going to be published uh, after the 74th volume ships out. And that... Those two novels will be written by two different authors. The first one is Makoto Matsubara, who has written previous novelizations of manga. And he will write the first novel, which will center on Renji and Rukia, which will come out in December. The second novel is really interesting because it is going to be written by Ryoko Narata of Bakano and Dorara fame, who will write a novel based on Shue Hisagi's quote-unquote sequel, Battle, and that will come out in 2017. 
those are very interesting, and since Viz has put out the Naruto novels, I'm sure they'll also put out these Bleach novels. And I think they'll be pretty interesting for fans, because the Renji and Ruge one will surely focus on their romantic development and, like, how they got married. And then, of course, Hisagi novel, that will be good for fans of Hisagi, because he kind of got the shaft in the final arc, and everyone was shitting on him and whatever. So now we get to see, you know, him you know, get some focus and maybe reveal his bankai, which was hinted at in the final chapter, but we never got to see. And no one believed he actually did bank, could do bankai. I, I also can't imagine that they would at least bring out that novel, seeing as how it's Narita's name is attached to it. And I yeah. mean, a, a lot of people love Dorara and Bakano, So I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine there wouldn't be some interest in that. Yeah, that one for sure is going to come out even though it's focused on the more minor character between the two. Yeah, but, you know, name recognition's a thing. But actually, speaking of name recognition, uh, this one's kind of interesting. Yeah, so uh, a writer who is famous for her uh, TV series that she works on, uh, she wrote some two pretty rather infamous titles that came out this year, Kisniver and The Lost Village, has written some other shows of varying critical reception in the past. Opinions on her have been mixed, but she's very prolific and she's pretty popular in Japan. She gets a lot of work, and it seems like she's moving out of manga into anime. That writer I'm referring to is, of course, Mari Okada, who is going to be penning a new manga that she will be publishing in Bisatsu Shonen Magazine called The Maidens of the Sabbath Season, which will be illustrated by Nao Emoto of Soredomo Boku Wakimigasuki thing. So that will, that series will debut in the January 2017 issue of Bisatsu Shonen Magazine, which is going to be published on December 9th, 2016, because, you know, magazine naming conventions are weird like that. There hasn't been any specific details about what the uh, series can be about, but I'm sure the fact that all the girls in the key visual are holding lilies uh, which in Japan are called Yuri, is uh, going to be significant. So, hmm. yeah. well, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure um, certain people we know are going to be uh, uh, um, interested in this, I'm sure. Yeah, when this gets legally translated, we're going to have Josh on to talk about it. Oh, yeah, because he's going to have, a, he, I'm sure he's going to have a lot to say about this. <laughs> Because <laughs> as, as we all know, if you follow Josh on Twitter, you just, you know, just how much he loves Mario Kata and everything she does. <laughs> uh, I was telling Sid off Mike, I, I would really give anything to like see Josh's face at the rea- his reaction to this news. Like, no, no, Mario Kata ruined anime. Now she's going to ruin manga, too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we love you, Josh. Just to so you know. But uh, uh enough shitting on Josh. So, um some uh, this is this is some cool news uh that we don't know too much about, but I thought it was worth bringing up that uh in the um in the 49th issue of um Shugaku Khan's uh, weekly Big Comic Spirits, it was revealed that uh uh main man, our main man Naoki Urasawa is cut with a new manga uh, in the magazine next year. 
And that's about all we know. Yeah. But, I mean, let's be honest. If you've read enough Urasawa, do you really need to know much else? Like, do do we really need to know what 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 it's about? Or like, is is that going to change our mind about whether we're going to read it or not? We're going to read it. Says the guy who has never read Monster. You know what? Shut up. I've read Pluto. All right. You haven't even read. I, is re- that the only one you've read? You haven't even read Twentieth Century Boys. <laughs> okay. Fine. Look, Sid. Is it any secret that I'm a fraud? I don't know why I'm hosting this podcast in the first place. Okay. <laughs> no, but Nakajarosawa is pretty indisputably the best writer working in manga today. All his thrillers are really excellent. Uh, even some of his. A rom- romantic, not really rom coms, or like slice of lifey kind of stuff that he did before. Yeah, I was going to say that Urasawa's done rom coms? Well, <laughs> I guess Happy is sort of a rom It's not really a rom It's more of a slice of life thing. But, uh, you know, Yawara. Yawara is like his most successful work. Like, as long as running, it's and it's a story about like. It's a sports manga about this judo girl. It's, it's like a sports oh, comedy. Oh, yeah. So that th- that that's an Urasawa work? Yeah, it's his first manga. I didn't kn- see I that's that's available in English, right? No. Is it not? That's weird. I thought I saw it around. Maybe maybe I'm confusing it with something else. Probably. The anime was partially released, but the manga has never been officially released over here. Oh, that's a shame. Huh, well, we should really uh should really fix that. I want to read more Urasawa. But then again, like you just had to had to point out, you had to point out another elephant in the room. I still, I've I've watched at least some of Monster. I, I'm not going to say I've never seen it, though. I do need to finish it, or probably just start it up again at some point. I've I've never read 20, 20th Century Boys, but but everybody and their mother begs me to read it all the time, and I would read it. But if my library had it, I would read it. If one of you on the internet could just teleport me your entire collection, I would read it. I I need I need to I need to start buying it at some point. Is it available digitally? I don't know. I don't think it is. Unfortunately, are you kidding, Viz? What are you doing? First, first you don't have Ice Shield Twenty One up digitally. Now this. What's wrong with our country? Okay, anyway, so Donald um, Trump is president. That's what's wrong in our country. Uh, yeah, let's let's not get into that because uh, that's gonna make me sad again. Okay, so shouldn't uh, have, you shouldn't have made it so easy for me to make that joke. No, I shouldn't. This is what happens when I go on rants. I don't think about the things that I say, and then Sig comes in with a zinger. <laughs> well, anyway, you know it's no surprise to me. Nerosav is coming out with a new series. Now that Billy Bats ended, it's interesting that he's going to be working with Shohakukan again when uh, Billy Bat was published in. Kadansha's uh, weeklies. No, it's I forget what the magazine was, but big comic. No, it's, it's he, he, his Billy Bat was published in the Kadansha magazine. Yeah. So now he's going back to big comic spirits, which is where you know his previous stuff was published. So that's good. Like that means Viz will be able to license whatever uh, he publishes in that. So, Hopefully, and, uh, yeah. It's interesting. You know, I'm looking forward to whatever he does next because his series are all very different and uh, all very interesting. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, it's, it's always nice to have a new work by Urasawa. Um, but you know, an, uh, another author who um, is getting a new work that I cannot wait to read is um, Yoshitoki Oima, who, if you, just in case you guys don't remember, is uh, is the author of. Uh, 
one of mine and Sid's favorite manga of all time, A Silent Voice. Uh, we really can't recommend that series enough. It's available on Crunchyroll. Please go read it. Um, uh, she is coming out with a, a new series in Weekly Shonen Magazine, or I guess actually at the time of this recording, when we release this episode, it'll, it's already running in the magazine. But uh, just in case you didn't know, uh, she is running a new series entitled uh, Fumetsu no Anata-e, or in English, uh, To You the Immortal. And um, the magazine uh, g- gives kind of a very short teasing synopsis like all magazines do. Uh, <clears throat> Kiyu was abandoned alone on the surface. After wandering, Kiyu finds a boy who lives in an isolated sn- uh, snowscape. I think uh, we still have that same uh, key visual from uh, when we reported on this a few months back at this point um, of a little white haired boy with a sled and a wolf and it's snowing and it looks amazing and the colors on it are really nice. I love it. Um, I really want this to get picked up. Like, why doesn't this have, why doesn't this have a simulpub yet? It's a crime. Yeah. I'm disappointed in you, Crunchyroll. You should have been on this in an instant. I know. I'm sure you're going to add it at some point, but I'm so disappointed that we're going to have to wait and we didn't get this immediately. Yeah, uh, or or comicsology. Uh, you you're, you're picking up stuff from you know the person uh, you know responsible for for your lie in April. Uh, you should maybe you could pick this up. I don't know. Somebody pick this up. I want to read this badly. Yeah, yeah. Get on this, Kadansha. Somebody. So I don't know if you could tell already, but me and Sid want to read this very badly. Um, but um, speaking of Weekly Shonen Magazine. So we're we're going to play the numbers game here a little bit because apparently um it has been confirmed that uh between July and September 2016 uh Kodansha's Weekly Shonen Magazine the same magazine that his new series is running in which also is the same magazine that runs uh Fairy Tale I I think we can assume that Fairy Tale is probably that magazine's flagship series um yeah that uh, Weekly Shonen Magazine in particular has dipped below one million in circulation, which means there are less than one million people that are subscribed and reading this magazine. At least in print. Like, yeah. I think another... See, uh, if you look at the trend between magazine, Jump, and Sunday, like, circulation sales, they've all been going down, like, gradually for years now. And, you know, that's both... In, due to lack of interest, but also due to the fact that people are more interested in reading stuff digitally now. Yeah, so this is true. These, so they've been creating the digital magazines or whatever, so people have jumped ship to uh, digital subscriptions from print subscriptions, so naturally the amount of print subscriptions has been going down in favor of those. Of course, there's also just veining interest in, you know, some of these magazines in general. Maybe there are just not as many big titles that are drawing attention anymore. There's all sorts of factors involved, but the big one, I think, is this move from print to digital. Yeah, so, I mean, I, like, I guess like you said, it's not it's not that much of a surprise, but Yes, so yeah, some of these magazines have been sort of dropping in circulation for a while, but I'm just, as long as they exist in some form, you know, that being digitally, um, I'm not super worried. I guess, that, I guess this, this just means that print, print is dead, Sid. Like, like everybody's been saying for the past decade or so. Yeah, well, I still like buying stuff in print, though I have to admit, I also 
have decided to buy a lot of stuff digitally nowadays, and I enjoy doing that too, and it is a lot more convenient than buying stuff in print. I want to say my piece about this, and then, and then we'll go, because... I like print stuff too. Like I, I like I like buying actual physical books, and I like owning them. But you know, just like with Sid, like I only have so much room, and especially with a lot of the series that like I want to start, like you know, like I I want to buy. I mean, this is probably a bad example, but I want to I want to own all of Ice Shield Twenty One because it is probably my second favorite manga of all time, honestly, next to One Piece and Nero, but. I show 21 is kind of a bad example because that's not available in dig- in digital form. But if it were available in digital form, I'd probably like I would have to buy it all. Di- I would have to buy it all digitally because I don't have room for 37 more volumes of manga. So, you know, but, you know, just 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 a little PSA, guys. I know there are some people who are very against buying comics in general digitally for some reason. Uh, there, are, I know a lot of uh, diehard print lovers out there, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But guys, digital comics are very convenient. Don't don't knock it until you try it. Yeah, I literally have like a hundred volumes of manga on my phone that I can read <laughs> anytime. Like I can't carry a hundred books with me anywhere, but nope. I have a hundred volumes word of manga on my phone that I can read and flip through anytime. So. You know, there's a lot of benefits to digital manga. And I've said this before, but as soon as they make iShield 21 available digitally, I'll buy all the volumes so I can read it because I've been meaning to do that forever. But I just, it's just so much more convenient for me right now to be able to read something digitally and have like the freedom of being able to read it wherever and whenever without having to lug a bunch of books around. Yeah, and like in the case of Ice Shield twenty one in particular, like I'm gonna own all of Ice Shield before I before before I leave this world. It's gonna happen. That's morbid. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I'm just saying I'm I'm gonna own all of it. Like that's no question. It's just gonna take me longer to own it because like I have. But I mean that also goes into like because I have other series that I haven't read that I've been collecting that like. I want to co- like I want to collect all of Yu Yu Hakusho so I can read all of it because I don't want to collect a whole bunch of them and then read through all of them and then have to wait months and months for me to be able to buy them because I'm I'm sort of on a budget at this point. Unfortunately, I can't I can't just I can't just use all my money to buy manga. I, I gotta like buy food and, and 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 pay and pay for other stuff and like being an adult is hard, guys. Um, so yeah, I don't know what I don't know what my point was. My my point is digital manga is not bad, and I don't see any reason why people are so adverse to the concept. Honestly, other than the fear that print will actually die one day, which I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Print is still around, and I think still sells well enough. But I mean, yeah, at some point, uh, at, at some point, print will probably be obsolete. But I don't think that day is going to come anytime soon. Yeah, but uh, to move back to the topic of Weekly Shonen Magazine losing circulation, I just want to compare, like, its circulation numbers right now are 995,000, basically. Shonen Jump is 2,160,000. And then Weekly Shonen Sunday is 330,000. 
Oh, wow. Uh, Weekly Shonen Sunday has a third of the subscribers of Magazine and a seventh of that at Jump. And the thing about that is, is that Shonen Sunday and Magazine have always and are supposed to be rivals. They were started the same year as each other. And, like, before Jump came along, like, they were supposed to be the big two rivals. And then Jump came around and, like, overtook them. But, like, Magazine and Sunday still have been, like, supposed to be rivals or whatever. But Sunday circulation is just so a third of what Magazine's is right now. And the seventh of what jumps is right now, so Sunday isn't like in real dire straits. Like, I know that they've been having this effort to like revitalize the magazine, you know, get some new blooding, get some old authors in to freshen things up. But yeah, I mean, compared to Jump the magazine, it's not doing so hot. You know, they really need to figure out a new strategy to, you know, get back on top. So, magazine might have been. You might be losing some subscribers, but uh, Sunday seems to be losing at a faster rate. And Shonen Sunday is the magazine that runs Conan, so that 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 kind of surprises me a lot, honestly. Well, the thing about that is, especially for long running series, is that if at some point, like readers will outgrow reading the magazine as a whole and will just go out and buy the volumes or whatever series to keep up with. Like that's yeah. that's what happens with One Piece, basically. Yeah. With a bunch of, with a bunch of fans that grew up that were like teenagers when it started and probably adults now they're just buying the volumes they're not reading it in jump. So, it's same thing with Conan. Yeah, I I can see that, but man, even even I wasn't aware of those um of those statistics. That that really is some dire straits right there. Yeah, it's sad to me as a Sunday fan that they're not doing so hot. Like I really wish that Viz in particular would help expand its North American presence of Sunday titles by doing their own, like, Weekly Shonen Sunday kind of magazine subscription service. Because there's definitely a lot of Sunday titles I would like to read, and I would support a subscription service for Sunday titles. Because, like, magazine has a comicsology, and it has has Crunchyroll, you know, for simul-publishing of, like, various titles from its magazine, like Seven Deadly yeah. Sins, Fairy Tale, Fuka, Yamadaka, and all those are simul-published. And, you know, Jump has, of course, the North American Jump, but Sunday has nothing, like, nothing from Sunday is being simul-published. And, like, we've got volume releases of stuff like Hayate the Combat Builder, Detective Conan, and... Rene that are years behind uh, the Japanese releases of those series. I really wish, you know, there was an effort to ramp up the presence and availability of Sunday titles and, you know, a simul-publishing publish- service for Sunday titles. That's something I really want to see at some point and hope happens at some point. Yeah, honestly, uh, other other than Detective Conan, I, I read, like, I've I don't think I've ever read anything from Shonen Sunday, but I honestly, if 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 Viz were to start a Shonen Sunday subscription, I've I, I would totally buy it. Yeah, just I mean, to there's it. plenty of stuff they could put in that. Like they have Conan, they have Renee, they have like it's combat with their Zenny, but they have uh, Magi and its spinoffs, Adventure in Sinbad, and then you know they could bring in some new series. Heck, they could run Keijo since that's getting popular. That's a Sunday title. Oh yeah, that is. Yeah, so they have, they have lots of stuff they could put in that. I mean, I'd really like if they tried doing that. It's a- so yeah, that that's something that should happen because 
I I don't really want to as as some as as somebody who hasn't read a lot of Shonen Sunday, I I still feel kind of bad for it, and I don't really want to see it tie out. Yeah, honestly, I want to bring Bobber on sometime so we can do a Shonen Sunday like sp- specific episode because he's been doing a lot of great work, you know, going through and doing his Twitter recaps of each new issue of Shonen Sunday, and it's really cool to see all that. And honestly, I do think Shonen Sunday is, like, the least loved. Like, I mean, it has at least a brand name that's a little more recognizable than magazine, but magazine stuff is more available and more, like, popular than any of Sunday stuff right now. So, you know, I really, and I, I really think that's a shame, so... Yeah, we should we should we should have Bomber on to 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 have him like uh, to maybe walk us through the current lineup of Shonen Sunday and uh, maybe have him talk about some of that stuff, talk about some of the stuff he's reading, maybe make some recommendations. Because I actually I, I see him on Twitter do his uh, Shonen Sunday talkbacks, which, by the way, if you guys are interested, you should uh, follow Bomber at uh, Kiribon. That's uh, K-I-I-R-O-B-O-N, Kiribon. You should follow him if you're interested in that kind of thing. But we, we should we should have him on to uh, to to have him go through the uh, sh- Sunday lineup and uh, talk about that with us, kind of like what we did with uh, Casey with his uh, horror manga recommendations. That that That's something we should do next year. Yeah. Write that down, Sid. Yeah. I'll have that in the cards. All right, there we go. I'm I'm so looking forward to next year on Manga Mavericks. We have so many cool things planned. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, we should uh, we should probably finish up the rest of the news here soon. So Sid, what, what's the next thing we're going to be talking about? Right. So you might have been watching the series Orange that was aired during the summer anime season and is getting a stub by Funimation. And That's cool. It was a pretty popular, well-received series, the manga even more so, and that manga has now been nominated for the Goodreads Choice Awards. The Goodreads Choice Awards are decided by popular vote, and books published between November 16, 2015 and November 15, 2016 were eligible. So, Orange has been nominated as one of the 20 semi-finalists in the Best Graphic Novels and Comics category for the Goodreads Choice Awards of 2016. So, yeah, the voting for that opened uh, on last Tuesday. It has ended by the time of this recording. And uh, I guess at some point we'll see whether Orange has won the Goodreads uh, Choice Awards. So, that is pretty neat. Oh, that's 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 good to hear, but uh, so um, we we've been trying to do our best to kind of keep up with um, DMP's uh, Kickstarter to publish uh, Tezuka's Under the Air. Uh, Sid, would you like to give us an update on that? Yes, the Tezuka Kickstarter has been fully funded. Uh, well, oh, there you specifically, go. it has met the goal to publish Under the Air. That $25,000 goal right now it currently sits at $35,000, so it's about 15000 shy of the goal to get Melody of Iron published, which they will publish once they reach uh, $50,000. Uh, but that they have, interestingly enough, added a new series as an add-on, and not even a stretch goal add-on, just as an add-on, and they have added a new add-on title uh, Record of Glass Castle 
that is available as an add-on for $20 just print, $7 just digital, $26 you want digital and print. You will get that whether or not they reach the 50,000 goal for, to get Melody of Iron published or not. That's just like the crater, it is just an add-on that is available through this Kickstarter that you will be able to get, you know, right now because, you know, the Kickstarter has been funded. So it's pretty cool. Get another book. Uh, wasn't expecting that. And I would uh, recommend people add on this new book as well as preemptively add on uh, Melody of Iron as an add-on because doing that will help build up towards the $50,000 goal to get Melody of Iron published, which is what they're hoping will will happen with by adding these add-on titles. So, uh, you know, there's about 10 or so days left of this Kickstarter. They are pretty insights. They can reach that goal. So I'm hoping they do. And either way, though, there that's three books that I'm for sure getting out of this Kickstarter. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, I definitely would like to make that four books. So... If you can, raise your pledge to add on some more of the books, and yeah, hopefully we'll get that published. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's doing well, but uh, I guess we'll move on to our last piece of news, which, I Sid, I think we might have forgot to mention at the top of the show, but uh, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, Ajin Demihuman. Uh, we, we we did want to talk about it on the last episode with uh, Casey because me and Sid had wanted to read something somewhat horror-related for Halloween, but we figured we'd just kind of let Casey talk about his recommendations and we would save our thoughts on Ajin for another time, and uh, that time being this episode. So just to kind of help transition into that, uh, Ajin Demihuman is going to be getting a live-action movie. Uh, so that's cool. And... Um, Takeru Sato, who, um, who I think probably made it, I, I would argue made his breakthrough during, um, during his time as, uh, the main character of, uh, Kamen Rider Deno, which, even if you're not a Tokusatsu fan, please go watch Kamen Rider Deno. Like, such, such a good, like, Kamen Rider series. Uh, it was really super popular for a while, too. Had a lot of movies. Um, you might also know him as, uh, Kenshin from the Roroni Kenshin live action movies. And, uh, like I said, he's gonna be portraying, uh, the main character of Ajin, uh, Kei Nagai in this live action Ajin movie. And, uh, looks like they're gonna be somewhat tweaking the setting a little bit, uh, because <clears throat> apparently the film's setting will be taking place in Tokyo during the year of 2017. And, uh, apparently in the film, Kei will be a medical intern with his age basically written to match Sato's. Uh, Sato being uh, 27 years old, so I, d I don't have any problems with those changes, personally. Sato's an old man, though, in the manga. He's not 27, so... No, 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 Takeru Sato. Like, oh, Takeru Sato. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, no, well, that makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to age up <laughs> the characters. Like, Nagai is a middle schooler in the manga, so unless they got a really good middle school actor, you know, they're gonna have to age him up. And with a character like Kane, a guy, definitely they they need a really good actor to do a very complex character like that. And I don't know if a child actor could really pull that off. So I guess this is a good choice, I'd, I'd say, to age him up a bit. 
Yeah. I uh, I I think that uh we can look forward to this live action movie. So far it um uh, I don't have any problems with this uh with this idea at all. It's so far so good. We should probably I mean unless you have anything else to say about the live action movie Sid, I think maybe we should just get into our discussion about Achin. Yes, I think that'll be good. So, um yeah, me and Sid both uh I don't think this was planned at all. Like I I only decided to read Ajin just because like See, I, I talked about this on the last episode, like, because I have the first prototype volume of, of um, Mizuki's uh, Kitaro, and I'm sitting here like, what do I read for Halloween? I guess I'll read Aji. And I'm like, and, and then when I think back on it, I'm like, I don't know why I didn't just read Kitaro, because I haven't read it yet, and I really should. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. You so know, interestingly enough, just not to go on a super long tangent, but it found it really funny that when I went to the comic book store recently, and I mean just very recently, like after we had recorded our Halloween episode, I ended up picking up a bunch of horror-related titles. I picked up Kazuhiro Fujita's Black Museum, Jujito's Fragments of Horror, and, yes, a Kitaro book. Because they were all on sale at that bookstore I go to. But I found it hilarious Lucky. that it happened after we recorded our Halloween episode. Like, wow. Like, that was pretty unfortunate timing. I am looking forward to reading a lot of these. Especially uh, Fujita's Black Museum. Because I know a lot of people who have been really looking forward to it and really enjoying that. Me, me and Sid had wanted to read something horror-related, and it just so happened we both picked Ajin for some reason. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was on Crunchyroll. It's pretty easy to read, so it's just convenient. So, yeah, I, I had seen Ajin around for a while, and, like, <clears throat> the, the the covers of a lot of the volumes don't give you a lot to go on, because a lot of the co- every cover of every volume of Ajin just features, like, this this blackened, mummified ghost creature, which I thought was an interesting design. I was like, ooh, this this looks scary. I'll get around to it someday. And I mean, I, I know there's an anime for it on... Um, it's it's sort of a quote-unquote Netflix exclusive that I think is even dubbed, too, if people want to check yeah, that out. Um, I'm definitely planning on checking out the anime um, hopefully soon, actually, because I am kind of interested in how they handle the material. Um... I got introduced to Audience through the anime because my brother showed me the first two episodes of it at one of our notorious Wii parties. Uh, those are parties where my brother throws, where he invites all his friends and they spend the entire night playing video games and watching anime. And that was a really interesting particular Wii party because that lasted literally... 36 hours straight. Jesus! Like, they <laughs> came on Saturday at noon. They came at Saturday at noon, and then they left, like, the following evening or whatever. So it was, like, two days. They were every... that Our house was, like, full of kids who were all, like, all off doing their own thing at some points, and then we would bring back together. Like it was a, it was a cacophony of noise and like craziness. It was, uh, it was an interesting time. But yeah, so at some point, you know, uh, he, my brother, put on Ajin, you know, to show us, and you know, we watched the first two episodes because he he watched the entire anime before, like when Netflix uh, put it up, and like he really really liked it. So he wanted to get us into it. So we watched the first two episodes, and I found it interesting. Uh, 
a little, I found it a little bit interesting, but I didn't get totally into it for some whatever reason. Maybe it might have been the pacing, maybe the CG animation. I'm not sure. I just, I was interested, but I wasn't like totally hooked on the story and material yet. But wanted to read the manga at some point. So uh, I put that on my to-do list, but then I just forgot about it for a couple of months. And then later, come October, you know, we were deciding, yeah, let's uh, let's read some horror manga for when we have Casey on. And it's like, well, I don't want to really buy anything because I bought like a bunch of stuff already this month, what we're going to Comic-Con. And then bunch of digital manga I bought recently, so I was like, I'll just read something for free, with what's on Crunchyroll. And Najin, I remember, you know, it was like, I was interested in that, so yeah, I'll, I'll just read it, see where it goes, and, you know, basically when Ajin starts out, it's very similar in feel to Tokyo Ghoul. Basically, yes. in the sense that, you know, the main character discovers that he is a part of this group of subhumans, or creatures that are not considered human they look like human but they are uh, ostracized and they are feared by normal people there's a government agency devoted to hunting them down and suppressing them so and the main character kind of has to come to terms with the fact that he is this inhuman creature now and like grapple with these this understanding of his own humanity like what his sense of humanity is now that he is quote-unquote, inhuman. So at the start, it feels similar to Tokyo Ghoul. However, the direction it takes is very different because rather than musing on these, like, more philosophical aspects and, you know, just focusing on, like, this more dark unpleasantness or what or whatever, it becomes more of an action title and it becomes a really good action title. Like, it uses this concept of the fact that the Ajin can't die, that they are immortal, to its advantage in really creative and fun ways. So, all the Ajin are able to do these really cool action stunts and, like, crazy ridiculous things because they are free from the fear of death and the consequences of death. So there's a lot of really cool action sequences that can come out of that, like Sato crashing a plane into a city, or this really crazy scheme he does later on in the manga, where he deca- he cuts off his arm, then he mails it into this building, and then he destroys his body in a wood chipper so that his he can regenerate from his severed arm inside the building. That that was honestly probably like one of the best parts of that entire series. Honestly, I I was it was insane. Like Sato, I'm just gonna come out right now to say it is one of the best villains in any currently running manga series. He is not only freaking badass, but he is chilling in his methods, in his like 
personality and outlook and, like, what he's capable of and what he wants to do. Like, he is a really cool villain, and Colton and I, you know, remarked about this before, uh, off mic, but he looks like an Urasawa character. Like, not just in terms of his design, which, you know, his facial features, his prominent nose, but because of the way he's written, too, he feels like a character you would see in something like 20th Century Boys, Billy Bat or Monster. This really sinister, really disturbing amoral character who feels so inhuman and so threatening in like a way that is so and feels so actually very human and that's what makes it all the more disturbing. So I really, really love Sato as a villain. Like Sato is probably my favorite character, my favorite part of the manga, but another like really great aspect of the manga is the main character, Kei Nagai himself. And I was expecting from Kei Nagai that he'd be much like the main character of Tokyo Ghoul, Ken Kaneki, and that he would be broody, he would be mumbling a lot, he'd be complaining and have all this self-identity crisis, and, you know, eventually at some point, he would break and become emo or whatever. Yeah. But Kei Nagai is not like that at all. Like, from the beginning... Well, from the beginning, we don't get a huge sense of who he is, but as the story goes on, we start to get more of a sense of that. And Nagai does not think of how a traditional protagonist does, or how we consider a traditional good person does. Like, he is very self-centered, very concerned about his own survival, and at a certain point, he decides to discard and uh, not care about other people other than himself at all and is willing to go to any lengths to protect himself. He, when Ko comes to his aid, instead of helping him, instead of agreeing to help him fight Sato, he decides to just lock Ko away in this truck and so he wouldn't have to be bothered with that. And he says this really disturbing line is that, don't worry, I'll give you some stimuli. After all, the human brain can only go 72 hours without any form of stimulation. So a lot of the sense we get of Kane, a guy at the start, is that he is this really moral, well, not a moral, I keep using that word for some reason, but he's, he doesn't think quite right in the traditional sense. He doesn't think like you would expect. He sees everything uh, very logically. He doesn't think with any kind of emotion at all. At least not at least not at the start. He's not emotionally driven. He is very much a rationalist. And so from the perception that you would think is that the series is going to go out and develop him to a point where he decides that his rationalist way of thinking is quote-unquote wrong, and he needs to learn to become more emotional and, in that sense, regain his humanity that way. But in a really cool and, I think, very welcome like twist on that in the most recent chapters is that the series explains that K the guy's rationalist thinking is not a bad thing necessarily, and it doesn't make him a bad person. It's just a way of thinking that is different from how others think. But he is still a human being, and we do see that he does care about people. He will go, and he will be driven to do the right thing out of like a sense of justice inside him. 
And the biggest contrast to Nagai is Ko, who is very much this very uh, energetic, very shonen e character who is very outspoken about his feelings and is very much driven by emotion over reason in his actions. And they form a good contrast, uh, those characters. And neither character is portrayed as in the wrong in their outlook or their way of thinking. I mean, Ko is kind of an idiot, which is, you know, hilarious. I love some of uh, his exchanges with Nagai. Like, uh, early on in the series, when they start working together, Nagai asks him, you're given three choices when you walk into a battlefield. You can have uh, amazing intelligence, you can have an amazingly strong body, or you can be immortal. Which would you choose? And Ko answers, well, duh, I'll choose a strong body. And then the guy is like, yes, that's right. Everyone would say they would choose immortality. Like, he doesn't even acknowledge that Ko told him the wrong answer. Like, it's just an amazingly funny moment. Like, there's just a lot of great moments between uh, Nagai and Ko. Like, that is just great. But, you know, the contrast between those characters is very purposeful because Nagai represents this rationalist outbook, this rationalist person, and then uh, Ko is this emotionally driven person. But they are both representing aspects of humanity, and they both demonstrate their own sense of humanity, their own sense of morality and right and wrong as the series progresses. Neither is depicted as necessarily right or wrong, but both are depicted as human and as ways that a person can live and live functionally and live well and uh, are well-adjusted ways of approaching the world and approaching life. And I really enjoyed, uh, you know, where that comes to, because in the most recent chapters, Kay phones his mother, you know, to let him know what's up with him. And at the beginning of the series, early on, we are led to believe that his mother, like others who, when they discovered Kay was a demi-human, was shocked and then dismissed him as inhuman and, like, lost all respect or care for him and just saw him as subhuman. But and basically that's severed not, ties with him. Yeah, but that's not the case at all, it seems. Because when we check in on his mother, like her attitude towards him is very casual. Like she his her opinion of him hasn't changed at all. Like he is still her son, but we see where Kay's uh idea of thinking kind of comes from because Kay's mother is very much this rationalist like person, she flat out says, well, I can't really do anything for you, but best of luck to you. Uh, but he, it's not like she doesn't care about him. It's just like she's very logical and very, like, reasonable in her way of thinking and, like, knows, like, what she can and cannot do and, and lets that inform her decisions. And, you know, she talks with her daughter, Kay's sister, like, about this difference in you know, rationality in way of thinking that Kay and her have from, other, from you know, her daughter and other people and how that affects the perception of them. It's like Kay, she makes a point that saying Kay isn't a bad person for thinking the way he does, but it's a way of surviving and it's a way of surviving that is right. And feelings aren't enough to help people. Caring thoughts aren't enough to help people. What 
really, it, it's impossible for everyone to care for everyone, and there isn't a whole lot one person alone can do. But the best way to help someone is to make something happen and go out of your way to help those you really care about. And Kay is a person who does that. Kay looks at a situation he's in and he prioritizes what he cares about and he puts everything into doing that thing he cares about, whether it's helping someone else or whether it is his own sake of survival. And it isn't right to simply label him as a cold person. He just has a different way of thinking than other people and a different sense of humanity, morality, and justice than other people. It's really interesting. The whole idea behind the series is basically your actions and how you treat and uh, interact with other people will dictate how you as a person are perceived and also how you yourself perceive your own humanity. Because uh, earlier on in the series, when Kay and Ko team up with uh, ins- the inspector Tosaka, I believe is Tosaki. his name? Not, not Tozaki, Tosaki. And that's the running yes, joke. Yes, Tosaki. So they they came up with Tosaki and, uh, you know, we see that Kay at first feels a little bit of jealousy towards Ko because Ko fits in with Tosaki's team very well and, you know, becomes friends with them really easily while Kay is, you know, very isolated and he keeps to himself. But he feels jealous of the attention Ko receives and the fact that Ko is able to be so friendly with people. But he he's... Uh, advised by Hirasawa, who sort of becomes this mentor figure to him, that that's not necessarily a bad thing, that Kay is like the way he is, because letting yourself getting astray by emotions or like making friends with people is not really what he's there to do. And he can choose how he wants to uh, operate himself and how he wants to work in this team and prioritize what he wants to do and what he wants to get out of working with Tosaka and Ko. And I really enjoy the relationship between Nagai and Hirasawa and like how that comes to a head. Yeah, I I, I love I love where that goes, honestly. Like I was I wasn't I wasn't really expecting to become so attached to Hirasawa as much as I did, but I just I I, I love where all that goes and how that sort of comes to fruition because I feel like I feel like Kay sort of became a better person out of that relationship. Still, he does. Uh, he still has his rationalist way of thinking, but he also now is more driven to protect others for their sake more than his sake. Because he originally joins uh, Tosaka's Tozaki's group for his own kind of self protection because he realizes that what Sato is doing is going to demonize demi humans even further and make it harder for him to survive. Yeah, like just to, so he just wants to I'm sorry, I was I was gonna say just just to go back to what you were saying earlier. I like I like how Kay doesn't necessarily change as a person. Like I, I like I, I like that the series is pretty much uh, like they they don't they don't demonize his way of thinking. <laughs> um completely anyway like it's i'm really surprised at k as a character because when when i was first reading when i was first in the beginning of the series like 
you know, I like people had told me that like, okay, is really a nothing character. Like he's, you know, he's not really anything special. And I'm just like, okay, fine. Like, you know, it, it like it, it insert yourself here, main characters. Okay, sure. I don't, I, I like the, that. That was the kind of character I was expecting. Like, you know, somebody that like the reader could kind of put themselves in the shoes of. And I was kind of prepared for a character like that. But what we got was a character a lot more complex than I could have really ever expected. Because the, the, what, I, what I love about Ajin is that it kind of plays with your perceptions of the main character. Because, you know, at first, uh, we get all these different perspectives on, like, on, on Kay and his personality and how they are perceived. Like, his sister thinks that he's a total asshole, essentially. Right. And they, they at the beginning, they introduce character's childhood friend, um, Kai, which... By the way, I hate how all these names are so all, like similar to each other. I mean, there's another character called Keisuke, who is the subject of one chapter, who is also a friend of Kei's. And that's an interesting chapter, but yeah, like, there's Kei, Kai, Keisuke, Ko- there are a lot of characters. With- Keiichi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I hate how similar all these names are, but, like, they... Uh, like we we see a moment from his past when like uh, K and um, K and Kai, you know, they were childhood friends and they did a lot of stuff together. They played together, but I, I think I think his mom realizes that he that he was a demi human. So like he that we get this moment where his mom's basically like, "Hey, give me your phone. I'm gonna delete your friend's contact number," and uh, you know like. You know, we're we're kind of led to assume to we're kind of assuming that oh wow like that 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 kind of sucks like he had to stop spending time with his friend when we get you know his K's sister's side of the story we find out that oh K was just K was okay with just you know letting uh letting his mom do that because you know his mom gave him a reason because you know he, he basically rational she basically rationalized why he shouldn't be friends with Kai anymore and K was just like okay I see your point. And to to his sister, you know, that was very cold and very like um, it's just it, it was it wasn't cool, you know. Like oh, how how could you throw away your friend like that? But like you know, we're, we're, we we kind of like as the reader, I feel like I'm I'm like being tossed back and forth between oh yeah, Kay's an asshole. Oh yeah, hey, Kay actually does kind of a point. I do kind of agree with him. Like it's I found it interesting how many times I found myself kind of agreeing and disagreeing with Kay's perspective on life and how how he chooses to uh, deal with certain relationships. And especially, I think one of my favorite, cha- probably my favorite chapter of the entire series so far is his back and forth with, um, with Ko after, uh, after, after Sato's raid on the, on the security building and after everything is said and done, how, you know, uh, Kay is basically like, Oh, well, you know, you, you cared about this one person that died because, you know, you knew him, but what if, what if a million people in some random country died? Would you really care about them? Are you going to do anything about that? And it's like, I, I feel like K's a good device for the story to use to kind of bring up these, these, these different questions of morality and how you react to certain things. Like, I found that kind of battle of ideologies very interesting and I felt it led to a lot of very, poignant emotional moments um for me personally that chapter chapter 43 definitely kind of really encapsulates that the, the different sense of ideologies that are at play in this manga that the manga explores this rationalism versus emotionally driven uh logic 
And it's, I think it's really, really interesting the way Kane Agai is uh, presented and developed as a character. Because when we are first introduced to these uh, questionable sides of him, I believe the mangaka is purposely trying to trick us into thinking, oh, this is wrong thing. This guy is disturbed. He's not right. But it's a bait and switch kind of thing, because as he develops a story, we see more inside of Kay's head, and we kind of start to understand his thought process a little better, and we also kind of realize, no, his way of thinking isn't necessarily wrong. Both Kay and Tozaki do morally questionable and morally dubious things to achieve their own ends. And there are some things that they do that you would say good people would not do or should or a good person wouldn't think to do. But they aren't bad people. And the series goes out of the way to show that they aren't bad people. Like, they do what they do for purposeful reasons and what they do isn't always right but they are but they are their sense of rationality and the way they look at the world isn't a wrong way to look at the world it is a perfectly valid and legitimate way of looking at the world and a way of behaving and acting upon real life and K in particular isn't out to hurt anybody necessarily like, the, when we originally are to, were told a story about him uh, abandoning Ko as a friend as a child because his as parents... As Kai. Kai, yes. Kai is a child. <laughs> you see what I mean? They, they, but Kai, Ko and Kai also <laughs> look similar. So it's kind yeah, of- I know. That, isn't that weird? That, that really kind of bothered me at first, too. Okay, hey, it's Kai. Oh, wait, that's not him. He literally has almost the same blonde hair. I'm sorry, go on. But yeah, so abandoning Kai as a child, like we, it's it, like he does this as a kid because, yeah, being friends with the son of this ex-prisoner is going to ruin, be a black spot and like not be helpful in my future endeavor and career in becoming like a doctor and in my studies. So that makes sense to me. Like, is it right things to do? Maybe not, but it isn't also the wrong thing to do, necessarily. Like, for K, for, uh, K that was the most logical and reasonable uh, option for him to take in pursuit of his goal of becoming a doctor and in pursuing his studies. And K has always lived his life like that. He's lived with his rationaliz- rationalism, like, to do what is the most logical and what is the best for him. But as the series goes on, he expands that sense of rationality into doing not as what only best for him, but is what's best for the people he cares about and what's around him. And what's great about K as this anti-hero uh, character is that he's not out to save millions of people or save the world, but he's out to save the people he cares about the most. And as explained in the chapter where he talks with his mother, and as what his mother tells us about him, K is when K is determined uh, to do something, he does it with all his effort. And so now, as we as he's approaching, you know, this next phase of the story. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that where that goes. 
Yeah, so at, at the time of this recording, Ajin is about 44 chapters long, and I believe um, is released monthly. Yeah. And, per- and personally, I think this next phase of the story coming up could be the final one. I think so, because it feels to me like they reached, like, kind of a pretty conclusive point thematically in what the series is trying to go with this reason versus emotion way of thinking that's been developed throughout the story. Like, it's kind of made its thesis point moment here, like, it, with the chapter 44, the discussion between Kay and his mother, and then, like, Kay's ultimate decision to go after Sato to protect those he cares about, you know, so I definitely this next phase of the story I think is going to be the final phase. How long that will be, I'm not sure, but uh, I mean, it, I definitely think it's going to be entering into an ending of sorts. Yeah, I mean, I I think one other thing I I think I really liked about Ajin, um, there there was a moment that really struck me during I guess the uh, this this last arc that happened when they're basically fighting Sato and his goons in the um, in the security building uh, with uh, with Tanaka of all people who I, it's just now occurring to me that uh, Tanaka's technically the first character where that appears in the manga because in the beginning we see a lot of this because uh, there, there's a lot of uh, demi-human experimentation going on in the in in the beginning of the manga which uh, Kay is unfortunately dragged into himself and um it seems, I think, from what we can tell, Tanaka seemed to be the first, uh, the first demi-human that Sato rescues and uh, has him be uh, like makes him a part of his uh, a part of his gang or his little uh, his little posse or, or whatnot. And uh, so that to to me that that element kind of makes this even more interesting. And, I, and I'm kind of I kind of want to see where his development goes because at first I didn't really have any real stake in Tanaka. Like, oh, he's just. He's just Sato's right hand guy. He just, you know, he's he's just a guy. Whatever. He's just around helping Sato do whatever. And I think he, I I think some potential for some good character development really opened up in this last arc. And I think one of my favorite moments in the series is where, because um, Tanaka through through certain circumstances ends up uh, dressed up as a police officer to basically try to camouflage himself to i think try to get out of the building safely or whatnot with sato and um there's this moment where he ends up fighting uh tosaki's uh right hand woman uh shimomura who who herself also has a very sad backstory and how she learned she became a demi-human and that was uh i couldn't handle some of that stuff that was some really sad stuff honestly all the characters in the series are really interesting and are very morally complex and they also some of them have this tragic element to the character Shimomura is probably the most tragic character of all the characters but you know the- like like that 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 final shot of her of her IBM ghost stand whatever you want to call it um embracing her while she's sleeping in that tiny room for rent I think is probably one of the most powerful images in the entire series especially considering when it's it because it because it feels like oh she finally has somebody that like so somebody's finally like embracing her, and it looks like oh well, somebody cares about her finally, and it's, it's just kind of funny that that like in her in her in the wake of her becoming a demi human that she sort of finally finds some peace. It's it's um, I thought that was very uh, very powerful, but the the moment I really wanted to get to that I that I thought was really impressive was um, 
Tanaka ends up fighting uh, Shimomura uh, with with their ghosts and whatnot, and um, you know Tanaka ultimately uh, has the upper hand. He ends up winning the battle and handcuffs her when uh, some some of the other employees of the building come in. And they they find out, oh, she's she's another demi human, and start like gawking at her, taking pictures and stuff. And as Tanaka's leaving, like y- y- you can you can see it in his in his expression that like you know yeah like Shimomura is technically the enemy, but he kind of starts to like share it. He in that moment he shares a connection with her, and that they're both demi humans, and like he knows what it's like to be you know, ostracized and gawked at and, like, inflicted pain upon, like, he kind of feels for her, and he doesn't really like that she has to go through that same thing, so, like, I wasn't expecting this at first, like, goes back and, like, uncuffs her, and, or, no, I think he, he takes out a lot of, he takes his, uh, anger out on a lot of the other employees gawking at her, and I thought, like, like, he kind of starts to develop this, uh, this way of thinking where he's, He's kind of wondering, you know, about whether what Sato is doing is right. And it's just like I, I found Tanaka's character development in that arc really interesting. And I'm really, I, I really liked where it went. I don't know what how you felt about it, Sid. Yeah, I mean, it was really, a really good moment. He goes out of his way to basically save Shiromura's life because, you know, Tazaki wasn't going to cover up for her. Like, maybe he would, we don't know, but presumably, like, when Shimomura is exposed to these other police officers, like, she is going to suffer the same fate as the other Ajin would, like, being experimented on and tortured, but in this moment, Tanaka, like, he goes back, and, like, he kills a lot of police officers and all the other witnesses so that Shimomura, you know, wouldn't get found out, and, like, her secret is safe. So, it's really a good moment for him, like, he... He tr- he does what he thinks is right in this moment because he, even though like Shimomura is technically his enemy, like he doesn't want her to suffer the same fate like he kind of suffered. But also, like another moment that I think really stands out to me is the fact that he basically protects like the woman who is responsible for torturing him previously when he was like a prisoner, and it was a really interesting moment because like in he thinks. Like, he has every right to want to kill this woman for what she did to him, but he decides that he doesn't want to take her life and isn't right for, like, this person to die, because in the end, you know, she also did do it unwittingly, like, she didn't want to, but she was kind of forced to by her bosses. So, he, he tries to help her escape the building, and so then Sato arrives on the scene, and he, like, points his gun at her, and Tanaka sets in front of her, and Sato's like, what are you doing, Tanaka? And Tanaka's like, I don't care what happens to me, or what you're gonna do to me, but I won't let you kill this woman. And, like, at that moment, he's willing to go against Sato, you know, just to protect this person's life, and this person who, by all accounts, he should absolutely hate, and who he should want to kill himself, but he believes is wrong to kill. And I thought that was a really cool moment. And I also just liked Sato's reaction after that, when he's like, okay, yeah, if you don't want her to die, like, whatever. Yeah, hey, okay, whatever. I mean, I, sure. I mean, Sato, <laughs> Sato himself doesn't have anything against the woman, and it's really, like, 
So, I mean, that was a really cool exchange from between Sato and Tanaka, because Sato really also doesn't have necessarily anything to gain from killing the woman or making Tanaka his enemy. So it's also in that moment, so it's like, okay, I don't really care. So it's also just another great Sato moment, as well as as much as it is Tanaka moment. But Point being, I, I really want to see where Tanaka's character goes, and I really want to see how he's used in the story. Cause I definitely he's- think it's going to be paid off in the final arc of the series, because it is Tanaka's, like, discontent and, like, his mixed feelings about what he and Sato are doing have been something that was gradually being developed throughout the course of the manga. Like, it culminates in this point, and so even though Tanaka and Sato are still, you know, teammates afterwards, like, definitely Tanaka isn't 100% on board with what Sato is doing anymore, and it's going to be interesting to see if he goes against him again in the future, and in what circumstance that will be. No, yeah, I agree. I, I, I can't wait to see where that goes. I, I think I think one of the only other things I want to talk about before we move on and wrap up here is um I um I I found what I found interesting was um because something interesting about the series in particular is that um and I'm I'm forgetting their names off the top of my head, but uh the the manga was written uh, originally written and drawn by a duo, but um so for for some reason, uh, I don't think there's any official uh, reasoning out there that you could find. But uh, unfortunately, at some at some point, uh, the duo behind Ajin broke up, and so I think you, I think you kind of tell that in the art a little bit um, at some point because there there are some points I think around volume three or four where like. Tozaki looks kind of off and you could tell that like Sato by I guess by the current chapter of the manga does not look like the same person he did in the beginning. Um he definitely for some reason looks a lot older. Like he I think it's it's interesting that he looks more like his age by this uh, by this last arc. And I think that's because um from what I understand, the two people behind Ajin were both responsible for the story, but one of them in, in particular was responsible for the art. So what I'm going to say is maybe they had some disagreements with, with how where they wanted to take the story, or maybe they just didn't get along and one of them ended up uh, quitting and... Uh, you know, that left, uh, that left one of them to have to write the story and draw the series. And I think at some point you can tell that maybe... Because of that, like you could tell, maybe that kind of took uh, that kinda, that kind of like took its toll on uh, on whoever was left. And you could tell that at some point the art kind of degrades a little bit. But I think, uh, but I think that the newer, st- like the more current style, definitely uh, comes to fruition. It becomes a lot more polished. It becomes, um, I don't know, like I, I I think I think the the style that is drawn in now. I think surprisingly looks a lot to me looks a lot more appealing than um, than when it first was published. Well, I think that's just the natural evolution of the art because it's been the same artist working on it since the beginning. Game on Sakurai. He uh, at the beginning of the series, the story was done by Suina Miura. But of course, after like the first two or three volumes worth of chapters, Miura has left the series and now it's just been all Sakurai 
who's been drawing and writing the series. But it's been the same artist since the beginning, so I think it's just yeah. a natural evolution refinement. Well, I know, of but the I, what art. I'm what I'm saying is what I'm saying is I've I've been seeing that they're both credited with the story. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm saying I think maybe at some point they had a disagreement as to where maybe the, the, they wanted to take their series uh, narrative wise, and maybe that's the reason why they broke up. But again, this is all speculation. None of this is confirmed or based in fact. This is just what I think possibly might have happened. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, I think you can, I think you can tell that the art at some point kind of takes a little bit of a dip in terms of the how the characters are drawn for like a little bit but I, but I think I think he rebounds back just fine though is what I'm just what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean personally I didn't notice it like too much but I definitely thought the art got especially towards like the current Jordan chapters it looks like even better like it's super polished because I like I I did a lot of I did a lot of comparing and contrasting between Sato in the beginning and Sato now and he totally looks like a he he looks like he aged like ten years. Like it's it's kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like he he did not look he did not look that old in the beginning. But I think and like at first I thought it was kind of jarring. But like like the further I read, I think the more used to it I got, and the more I was kind of all for it because I think it I think the way he's drawn now does a way better job of showing his age. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you look at him in the be- if you look at Sato in the beginning, like as early as chapter three. Like, he definitely looks a lot younger, and he looks like he he kind of looks like a young, very idealistic person who's out to, you know, change the world and whatnot. And, like, by the time uh, the way he's drawn changes, like, he, he looks like he's seen some shit, you know, because we get all this backstory about how he used to participate in the Vietnam War and all that. And, like, I think the way he's drawn now, like, he looks like he's been through war. He looks like, he looks more experienced, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I, and I and I kind of appreciate that, honestly. Before we move on, though, I want to because I think you know we might have been going back and forth, like switching between like various different topics, like uh, when discussing Aji in here. So I want to like right at the end, very focused, uh, give like why you should read Ajin, like a straightforward recommendation. Ajin is a really exceptional horror action series, primarily delving in psychological horror. It is focused on the main theme of what it means to be a human being, what is this idea of humanity, and how do we decide what is right or wrong. Unlike other series like Tokyo Ghoul, which approach these uh, topics in this very more over-the-top cartoonish way with antagonists that are very kind of easy to describe as cartoonishly like black and white evil, and so thus robbing the kind of morally ambiguous nature of the series of really any weight or true mature depth. Ajin really perfectly encapsulates this uh, moral gray area and moral ambiguity. The main characters are very morally ambiguous in their actions, but they never go too far to the point where you can say, no, I don't buy that. That guy is clearly a bad guy. And As the series goes on, you really do come to understand each character's way of thinking, and you get to understand 
why the way they are, and you also get to understand why the perspective on what right and wrong is, is at least for them, if not maybe something you personally prescribe to or aspire to, it is not a wrong way of thinking. And I really think that it is such a refreshing outlook and a refreshing different perspective from what you'll usually see in just any kind of series like this. Because in any other series, Kay would either be presented as a villain protagonist, as someone who is doing the wrong thing and whose way of thinking is supposed to be wrong, or he would go off the deep end and become this emo character for a little while before realizing that he needs to lighten up and, like, do what's right, kind of like Kaneki and Tokyo Ghoul's kind of character arc is. Kei's arc is much more complex, and he as a character is much more complex than that, and much more nuanced than that. I think that Kei Nagai is one of the most interesting and really... Yeah, complex and fascinating protagonist I've read in a currently mon- running manga current or that's going on right now. I also think that Sato similarly is one of the best antagonists that I have read in a manga in a long while and in any currently running manga right now. I think that the series is ex- an exceptionally creative action series in the way it uses the Ajin's powers to not die, to do these crazy stunts and these really cool, really inventive action sequences that really play on your expectations and are really a sight to behold. The artwork is fantastic. The pacing is fantastic. The exploration of the themes, of of morality, of what's right and wrong, of humanity, it is all very pitch perfect, very fantastic, very palpable, and it never feels forced. It always feels natural. And the story is such an addicting read. It's such an engaging read, beginning to end. And I highly, highly recommend Ajin. I think it is probably one of the best currently running titles out there. It's legally available on Crunchyroll for you to read it. And if you haven't, it's being published by Vertical, if you would rather read it in graphic and print format. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. It is it was a really pleasant surprise, and it was it's an insanely good read. I I, I kind of want to go off of what you were talking about, uh, what you were saying. I I was really afraid at first that this was just going to be another Tokyo Ghoul because, as I've said on the podcast before, again I know I should read more, but man, Tokyo Ghoul just it just didn't really grab me like I wanted it to. And I, I don't know if I really have a ton of interest in going back to it anytime soon. But I, I feel like Ajin gave me a little bit more to latch on to. I think it gave, I, I, I just, personally, I just, as far as the beginning goes, I thought, I thought Ajin was a little more interesting in the way where, like, you kind of sort of hit the ground running. Like, it's, like, like the story just starts. Like, you, you know, like, K is just on the run from everyone. And you're like, okay, well, where is this going to go? Like, we, like the series doesn't give doesn't give you a lot of time to really, like, sit around and think about what happened, which is, you know, I, like, personally, I think it's what kind of turned me off of Tokyo Ghoul is because I I didn't, like, like the, Tokyo Ghoul didn't really give me enough uh, about Kaneki to really care about him as a character. I just thought it was a lot of, 
oh no, I'm this thing. What am I going to do now that I'm this thing? And I felt like a lot of the first volume was that. And I just wasn't interested because I didn't really know enough about him to really become invested in him. Whereas I'm not saying that Ajin gave me a lot of that at the beginning either, but like at, at least we're kind of thrown into the middle of the action and you want to know, you know, where it's going to go. And I feel like Ajin near the end of the first volume in particular, I felt like did a better job of hooking me, but that this is just me personally. So I, I am glad that this didn't just turn out to be another Tokyo ghoul. Like I completely agree that like, I feel like this is a better execution of what Tokyo Ghoul wants to do. And I was honestly surprised that I ended up liking the series as much as I did. And I and I think, honestly, it, it gets a totally solid 100% recommendation for me. Like, if you're not reading this, you, you should give it a try. It is so good. And honestly, I think it's also worth mentioning that this might be the first monthly manga that I start keeping up with because I... I don't like keeping up with monthly manga because I feel like I always lose the I'm afraid of losing the momentum of reading the story, reading it in monthly chunks. But I got to keep reading this like I, I need to know what happens next. And and that's that's really that's really special to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that Ajin is such a it's, I think I'm glad I marathoned Ajin, especially at, at the point that we caught up to it. Because that was chapter forty four is was such a great capstone to like catching up to the series like that kind of perfect timing. Like, yeah, I remember with a stat. I mean, that was like just a really lucky break. I remember I had the same kind of experience when I caught up with a silent voice like way back in the day. Like I caught up like right at the chapter where Sho- Shoya falls off the roof and is like, what the. What the heck? And so, uh, yeah, that was a fun 20 weeks of keeping up with the final run of that series. But, like, yeah, so, Ajin, I mean, uh, to go back to the Tokyo Ghoul comparisons, now, I don't want to, like, say that uh, I dislike Tokyo Ghoul. I I do enjoy Tokyo Ghoul, but Ajin does what Tokyo Ghoul tries to do with the teams it tackles in a much more mature and a much more multifaceted way. It explores more angles with its characters, and it has a more complex variety of characters with different levels of of morality and this sense of moral justice to them. That is much more interesting to me than in Tokyo Ghoul, where you do kind of have these clearly good and clearly bad people. And like to the sense of morality and in the sense of question of humanity and right and wrong isn't really as uh, well explored. Because when you have in Tokyo Ghoul, the society of ghouls who force humans to, f- to fight in a coliseum and then eat the losers, like, I mean, you kind of lose your ability to maturely develop an interesting <sighs> angle yeah. on, uh, on what you're trying to say about humanity or, you know, hu- or a sense of right and wrong or whatever. But, uh, Ajin is one of the best treatments of that subject matter that I have ever read. Uh, I might even say it tackles the subject better than 
Parasite, and I thought that series tackled its subject really excellently, and I love that series. Like, Ajin is really, really excellent. Like, it is mature in the respect that what it really means to be mature in terms of how it develops its characters and its ideas, and, like, the way it presents its ideas. It isn't a series of easy answers, of easy morality, and it doesn't have any truly black and white characters in it. There are some times where you feel like there is this black and white sensibility, but as the series goes on, you realize, no, like, a lot of these people are pretty justified in the way they're thinking, either because they don't know any better or because that's simply the way they live. Not only that, but even the most disturbing and the most inhuman character, Sato, himself feels like a real person. Like, he feels like a believable human being with a believable, like, goal. I mean, not really goal, but a, like, kind of a believable personality. He has believable ideals, I think, too. Well, he's not really about ideals. Like, Sato's whole thing is that he just wants to have uh, a good time. This is true. He just wants to cause, he just wants to cause, like, havoc and chaos for the sake of his own personal fun. And in another series, like, that could be, turn out, that could make him out to be this very shallow, very one-dimensional kind of character, but he doesn't feel shallow, he doesn't feel one-dimensional in Ajin. Like, there is more to him, even though his goal is so simple, and you can see, like, why a person like Sacho would simply want to just have fun, and would go through all this ridiculous lengths just to satiate this like craving for excitement he needs in his life as someone who cannot die and as someone who like having as lived as long as him finds it hard to become excited or find pleasure in things as easily anymore Sato is an incredibly fascinating character in that respect incredibly fascinating villain and as I've said before one of the best I've seen and the series just in general is full of characters who are morally complex, even if their uh, goal seems simple, like the way they approach their goal and their way of thinking, none of them are completely black and white, good or evil. And I just find that really interesting because this is like the best handling. There's a lot of series that try to handle like casts of morally ambiguous characters, but Ajin is one of the best examples of doing that that I've seen since maybe Vinland Saga. So, yeah, high recommendation. Yeah, like this, this, this could have easily gone wrong, but thankfully it didn't. Yeah. So, so go read it is what we're trying to say. Basically, if if you're not sold on Ajin at this point, I don't know what we can say to convince you. Because seriously, it is one of the best manga currently running. I believe that without a shadow of a doubt. Like, it is absolutely excellent. Yeah, this really could become, like, one of my all-time favorites if, uh, if, if the ending goes well. Yeah, depending on the way it ends. Yeah, definitely. I could definitely see this ranking among my all-time favorites. It's that good. Yeah, this this was a good surprise. I like it when Manka surprises me. Positively. 
Some sometimes negatively isn't bad either, because then I have then I have tons of shit to talk on it. But it's nice to read good stuff every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, no, this Ajin was a, a very pleasant surprise, a really great lead. I, I really, I was really glad to go through it finally. I hope Casey's listening, so because I, I know I remember him saying he he wanted us to convince him on Ajin, so I'm I'm hoping he's listening. Right, I will say that for people who are going in expecting a horror manga it's not really a horror manga it's more of an it is a action series there is some aspects of psychological horror especially uh in the beginning couple of volumes but it is more of a horror action series with this interesting perspective on humanity and on morality. It, it does it does have some slight horror elements they they do exist but yeah i was i was I was totally expecting a horror manga, but what we got was more of a suspenseful action thriller, which I'm totally fine with. A suspenseful action thriller with a brain. Yes. Which is all the more rare and all the more welcome. It's one of the best of its kind, for sure. Yeah, so it's on Crunchyroll if you want to read it digitally. It's it's available from Vertical if you want to, uh, if you want to read it physically. Just go read it. Like, we 100% recommend it. It's super good. Um... But I think, Sid, we had, we had an email to read real quick before we ended the show. Yes, Allison has sent us another email. Uh, she writes, hello, Manga Mavericks, it's me, I'm 900 here. Uh, she's basically, uh, you know, really excited about Pokemon Sun and Moon coming out. She got the Pokemon Adventures Gold and Silver Box set recently to read, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, her thoughts on that arc. Because uh, that's when I guess the series really hits its prime, even though I love the yellow arc a lot myself. But yeah, and uh, so, you know, she's just talking about, like, all the stuff she's been watching. She's uh, just watching a lot of stuff. Like, you know, for me, me who has trouble keeping up with shows, like, I'm pretty impressed with the amount of shows Yeah, she's I've, I've been having trouble keeping up with some shows myself, too. But basically, she says the top five shows outside of sequels she's watching this season are Classical Lloyd, Nanabaka, All Out, Tiger Mask W, and Yuri on Ice. Okay. And she asked us that she heard that the TNA fan server show, Keijo, is a big hype fest right now, but all she sees is outrageous butt physics. <laughs> and she asked, are you guys able to convince me to watch it? Fair warning, you probably won't convince me to watch it in Japanese because I am an English kind of person. And the English dub of Keijo has been uh, simuldubbed by Funimation, so I think that's already started. So you're in luck there. Okay, so... I was totally not expecting to, you know, love Keijo, and I'm not, I don't, I don't love Keijo, but I like it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Uh, personally, is it, is it a little tantalizing here and there? There are some moments, one or two of them that you could tell, like, cause you know, it is one of those things where sometimes, Thankfully, not all the time. They 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 ration these they they ration these out. Thankfully, but sometimes girl swimsuits do rip off or whatever, and that kind of stuff does happen here and there. But it doesn't happen enough to really turn me off. Um, and there are maybe one or two gratuitous shots here and there, but like it, it exists. I'm not gonna lie and say, oh no, Keijo is anyone can watch it. Like there are some stuff in there that I think will turn people off. But to me, like, I, I, I hate, I hate fan service, especially truckloads of it. Like, 
if I, if I'm watching something, if I'm watching anime, and like the the story is more of a means to an end to give you fan service, to give you that kind of stuff, I'm totally turned off by that kind of thing. Like I really do hate fan service. It just I know it's something we have to live with, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. Keijo, on the other hand, while some of that does exist, not enough of it exists to turn me off because like. It's not really meant to be sexualized, in my opinion. And, like, I've seen a lot of people going around really fighting tooth and nail over Keijo. And I don't, I kind of don't want to be a part of those discussions because I'm kind of of the mindset that I don't want to defend Keijo because I don't think it's worth defending. But I also equally don't want to ostracize it because I don't think it's worth ostracizing. It's one of those things where. If you like stupid, dumb anime, this and if you're anything like me and you like that kind of thing, this is this is your kind this is your kind of show. Like, I kind of agree with everyone who say that Keijo is really just a sports show that just happens to involve um breast and buttocks. And personally, it doesn't turn me off. Like, I'm actually kind of surprised that like I mean like <sighs> It's not exactly uh, another thing, too. It's not exactly a very, like, d- don't expect to get emotionally involved with any of these characters because, like, the the story in, in this case kind of serves a means to an end. Like, it's you're watching this for, for the sport, quote unquote sport. You're not watching it for the deep character development. A lot of the characters are, in my opinion, very one dimensional. They're not bad characters, but they're they're serviceable. So, in conclusion, I think Keijo actually has more pros than it does cons. And like I said, if if Keijo were really that bad and hard to watch, I wouldn't still be watching it week to week. So, take that with what you will. Or take that as you will. Yeah. So, I didn't want to, like, keep up with any shows from this season because I don't really have the time to do that so and i and so i wasn't really watching anything from the season so but i had seen clips of keijo uh, on youtube and recently and i was really intrigued by those and because there was some it seemed like pretty fun like it was ridiculous in the kind of way that i kind of like but it was also like really well animated surprisingly so for me, I had already heard like kind of negative opinions from a lot of uh kind of my friends and then other people I listened to. Like uh the folks over at Animation Revelation, uh they were not too fond of the show. David Majors and his partner Jack on anime podcasts of some sort, <laughs> they uh ranted about it for about an hour. Yeah, that, that's as as they're as they're one to do. They had Lauren Orsini on for the next episode, and they got into that again. Uh, and they had a little, and there was because of Lauren's perspective, like was more positive, so they had a more uh, fleshed out perspective there. But so I decided to, you know, after getting this email from Allison, to this morning finally just watch the first episode of the series and kind of decide for myself, like, and form an opinion on it. And, yeah, I really don't understand what all the outrage over this show is by some people. Because it's surprisingly harmless. Yeah, yeah, it's really not that exploitative compared to, like, a lot of other fan series shows. 
for one thing, also, all the female characters kind of have agency. They aren't, like, this object of lust for male characters. Like, it's a pretty female-dominated show. Yeah. Like, there are barely any male characters in it. It's basically a, it's basically a shonen sports show with female lead characters, and they just happen to be fighting with, you know, as you said, their breasts and butt. And it kind of knows its premise is so ridiculous, and it goes all out in that. Like, it embraces how over-the-top and absurd the concept is. And I think that's what makes it so fun and so enjoyable to watch. Because aside from the very good, honestly, animation, like, you know, it is pretty infectious in terms of the personality, and the pacing is pretty, you know, exciting. And I was, honestly, I was, ex- I was surprised because there really wasn't a lot of, from what I was expecting, there really wasn't that much fan service in the first episode, really. Like, yes, obviously there were shots of their butts and breasts, you know, as they were charging in at each other or whatever, <laughs> but they could have gone so much farther with fan service. Like, not every shot was, like, too sexually, like, too, just too, like, sexually, uh, characterize them or, like, to show off their body sexually. Like, it plays itself pretty much like a sports anime would, and it doesn't. There's plenty of. It goes for a long time without, you know, having any fan service like shots or moments. Like, obviously, you're going to have that random cut to, you know, a character's ass, you know, like, but that's like subject to. That's like common in like a bunch of anime nowadays. Yeah. It's just like anime filmmaking, how anime filmmaking is now. That's not. I do want to say that, um, there is one shot in particular. I forget in which episode it was. There is a, there is one one camel toe shot that did kind of make me groan. But like the weird thing about that is, and I don't feel like getting into it because I don't want to explain the whole scene. But like there there is context to it, and it's supposed to lead to like this really weird attempt at a at a misdirection that I thought was kind of lame, but. I think that's the one thing that that's like actively like made me groan out loud, but everything else I've been totally fine with, honestly. And and I do want to make it clear. I just want to go on record and say that like, as much as I do kind of enjoy the show, I am totally fine with people not wanting to watch this. This is not something I am going to be, <laughs> I am going to be uh trying to get all my friends into like, it's, uh, to me, it's not really worth that. Like, if if you want to watch it and you like it, that's totally fine. And if you watch it and you say, eh, this really isn't for me, that's totally fine, too. Like, like negative or positive, I don't really, un- I, I don't really understand this outrage at all. I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, it's really harmless. Like, it's really not that exploitative. It's not offensive in the slightest. Its characterization of its characters is not uh, questionable at all. Like, they're pretty decently characterized, even though... I mean, they're archetypical, but they're decent. They're serviceable. Like, the characterization... The characterization is what you would expect in a shonen sports anime. Yeah. So, like, these... Like, if you could make these characters male, and they would be shonen sports anime characters, basically. Yeah. Like they, it, that their characterization really has nothing to do with the fact they're female at all, and that's kind of a positive thing because it's not even focusing on that. Like this is a, 
this is a female dominated sports action show and but it's very empowering in the set it's empowering quote unquote in the sense that not even in universe like the sport does is doesn't seem to be watched by people for the purposes of titillation it's just like this exciting like kind of uh battle kind of sport like wrestling so in this universe of this world it's like it's just a legitimate competitive sport that you know women excel in but also you know honestly i don't think that a lot of like a lot of the shots in the show are really distracting a lot of them i don't even think are meant to be titillating yeah. like even in like with you know characters charging their asses at each other <laughs> even like even like i think uh, i think that's just it's just supposed to be like this absurd thing. It's not supposed to be something you're that they're expecting people to get off yeah. on. Like I'm sure some people will, but I don't think that's not. I don't think obviously while there is traditional fan service in the show, I don't think that the Keijo matches in particular are focused on the fan service aspect of the series, but just on the action uh, shonen sports aspect of it. And I think that's what makes it kind of fun. Yeah. So I would say that Keijo, uh, outside of the fact that it has this absurd premise, well, well, one thing I will say about that, uh, uh, the way Keijo's, uh, Keijo treats his premise and its sense of absurdity and kind of its sense of humor. It reminds me very much of Girls on Panzer, which is another show with this really ridiculous out there premise. But it, uh, but it embraces the fact that its premise is ridiculous, like wholeheartedly. And it's incredibly fun and addicting to watch because of it. I say that because I've been watching Girls in Panzer recently to prepare myself to go see the uh, movie, which will be out in theaters uh, this weekend. So I've been really enjoying Girls in Panzer. And so going from Girls in Panzer to Keijo, and it's really a similar kind of series in that vein. It's like this ridiculous series that knows that its premise is absolutely absurd and ridiculous, and it embraces it wholeheartedly, and it goes all out in, like, doing crazy things with its premise. And I think, like, it's a lot of fun, and I think that's what makes it fun, and I don't think, like, the intentions behind the show, or at least the execution of the show, feels, like, gross, or, like, it feels like... It feels, like, pandering. I think that... Yeah, exploitative or pandering. Like, it, it feels like they do know, like, the, the fan service is going to be a big appeal of the show, but they also, like, want to make you have a good time outside of that. That's not the only thing to this show. Yeah. So, I, I can appreciate that a lot. Now, outside of the fact that the premise is absurd, uh, the show is basically, you know, your standard shonen sports anime. Obviously, I've only seen the first episode, but. You know, Colton, who I presume is caught up, basically has been saying it it doesn't really, like, elevate itself beyond that. Oh, yeah. So it's more of this kind of novelty kind of show. 
So it's fun, but like if you're looking for this great kind of sports series that will really get you emotionally invested and you'll like feel like this surge of excitement or like this emotional catharsis while watching or reading, I don't think you'll get that out of this. But if you're looking for to watch something that's absolutely ridiculous and fun and knows it's ridiculous, but it doesn't like overplay its hand by winking to the audience, but plays itself Ser- it takes itself seriously, but in but enough so that you know that that the uh, series is ridiculous. But the in universe, it doesn't feel nothing feels out of place. Like you can totally buy like what's happening. You can get into the show. Like if you're looking for like this, just pure a show that you want to watch for pure fun, like this like popcorn like sports action show. Keijo, I think, is a good time. I don't think... I mean, I know that people have been grossed out by the fan service. Like, we've talked about a few people who were. But I, I honestly don't think it's anything to get worked up No, over. there's there's so many other worse shows. Like, <sighs> Keijo seems to be the show that breaks up friendships this season. There's always got to be that one show. <laughs> it's not worth breaking friendships no, it's over. Sure, I don't it's, understand it's not. it at all. If you if you like Keijo, we're cool with that. If you don't like it, we're equally cool with that. Like guys, just calm down. We we need to we 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 need we need to get along. Life's short. Keijo is kind of my kind of series in terms of its like ridiculous premise and like Oh yeah, this show is stupid itself. and I love it. Yeah, I mean it's I find it fun when it's over and like I have time next summer or something I'll catch up to it. Yeah, it, it's Maybe it's the perfect up summer show. Too. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So that's a so, so. Whether or not you like it, Allison, I guess that's going to depend on your level of tolerance for fan service. But if you just like ridiculous kind of shows with weird premises, kind of like Girls and Panzer, if you've seen that, I don't know if you have. It's it's kind of like that. It's yeah, Al- Allison. If if you if you do watch it, that's cool. If you don't, you're not. You're not really like missing out on anything, honestly. And if you're not into, if you're not into these kind of really ridiculous kinds of shows, like you'll 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 be you'll be fine if you don't watch it. Yeah, it's not essential viewing, but it is pretty sakuga. Yes, yes, that that, that word that people <laughs> like to use, and I'm just like, I'm so. Maybe, I feel like I'm getting I'm getting kind of sick of hearing the word sakuga, guys. You know, no. That this is this is a whole other topic. I could d- discuss on a whole other show. We should really end the show. This was fun. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, talked about a lot in this episode, and uh, I definitely enjoyed talking about Ajin a lot. Like, definitely one of my new favorite currently running titles. Maybe even one of my new favorite manga in general. I can't recommend that series enough. And yeah, there's just a lot to look forward to in all sorts of things like Oima's new series or Sawa's new series, uh, the new jump starts, lots of cool stuff on the horizon. And as far as manga Mavericks goes, I'm really looking forward to having Maxi on in the next episode and to do talk about Toriko with him, talk about Shonen Jump with him, do a Toriko manga fight with him. It's going to be really, really cool stuff. Uh, I can't wait for that. I'm, I'm almost hoping not, not too many newsworthy, uh, stuff, uh, things happen because there's a, like, I, yeah, there's a lot we want to talk about with, with Maxi. Like I said, we we definitely want to get his thoughts and opinions on Shonen Jump as it currently stands, and 
talk about uh, Torika with him and and his thoughts on that. I mean, honestly, if there is a lot of news, we might just record an entirely separate podcast just to talk about Shonen Jump with Maxi. Yeah, well, we'll have to see how that works out because since yeah. since since we're going to be taking a break for like the next two weeks or so after this episode is released, uh, I, I imagine there's there's going to be a build up of news and there are going to be at least a few things in there that we'll need to address. But we'll just we'll just have to see. Maybe we'll even put out our first three hour episode. God kill me. Hey, I mean this episode. I guess it's, it's going to end up like two and a half hours after yep. editing, assuming you don't cut anything out. Uh, I I try to do my best to um to tr- trim things here and there. Uh, so guys, you can totally look forward to that. This is going to be really exciting. Like I said in the beginning, maybe maybe something bonus while you wait. But again, I'm not making any promises. It's something I do want to try, uh, try to try to get done. But if not, I apologize ahead of time. And you can totally, definitely look forward to our next episode with Maxi. But for now, Sid, uh, you do stuff. Uh, you want to tell everybody what you do and where they can find it. Yeah, so if you're interested in my personal art, you can go to my Tumblr at Sid Gupta's Awesome Art Blog. I'll try and update that more regularly as uh, I'm getting into the animation phase of my thesis. Uh, and you can, if you just want to talk to me about manga or whatever, you can find me as Lamramiyasha on Twitter, my anime list, and animation revelation. Well, there you go. Go go follow Sid and uh, keep up with all the stuff he does. As for me, Colton, you can uh, find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. That's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. I do a lot of other podcasts, including... Uh, uh, first and foremost, Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast. If you're a fan of Gintama and uh, you're interested in a, in a more retrospective look at some of the earlier material, uh, you can totally find that. That's, again, Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. If you're interested in a, in a retrospective look on Case Closed and or Detective Conan, you can uh, find that at One Podcast Prevails. That's at onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. And we mentioned Toriko. Um I don't know what the hell we're going to do after the series ends or if we'll we'll have a better uh, recording schedule. Probably not. But uh, if you're interested in a lot of my thoughts on uh, Toriko, you, you can take a listen to uh, the Heavenly Kings podcast at heavenlykings.wordpress.com. And uh, as for Manga Mavericks and All Comic, you can find more of this podcast over at all-comic.com. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. If you want to email us something like Allison did, you want to email us about uh, about whatever manga you're reading. Uh, hey, if you read Ajin, uh, tell, tell us what you think of it. We'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on that or just really anything in general. We'll, we'll read it. Uh, you can email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Please do that. It'll help us uh, gain a little more publicity on iTunes. Uh, that's always helpful if you uh, if you so choose to. But um, but I think that's about it for this episode. Um, good episode. I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, we'll be, we'll be kind of taking a break for the next two weeks over the Thanksgiving holiday. But we will be back on the week of uh, December 4th and uh with the hopefully with a new episode we'll be recording it then i should say um definitely we'll be out with a new episode that week but until then uh we hope you guys have a have a good thanksgiving fill up on some food before you uh before you listen to us talk about toriko because toriko makes me hungry all the time (laughs) it's it's the worst so uh we hope you guys enjoy this episode and we'll, we'll see you next time bye guys sayonara